This is Lampshade Media Presents Bathtub Rim Job with Dustin Meadows. How you doing, Dustin? Welcome to Bathtub Rim Job. Oh, I'm doing great, man. What an unfortunate title. Do you think so? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I depend on people that are more clever than I to to name the show. I was trying to come up with something clever, but uh, it just wasn't good enough. Uh, you don't uh, like it though. No, nah, I just uh, well, you know, bathtub rim job. It, uh, I feel like it just conjures the wrong visuals. Well, <laughs> I don't know what visuals Amber was intending on when she named it that, but I think she was looking for something that was very relaxing because, like, Doug thought Panic Attack was the name. She didn't like Panic Attack because that was too stressful. A bathtub rim job just just conjures images of eating ass while you're sitting in just bath water. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it does kind of, like take the appetite away maybe <laughs> one uh one also just i mean additionally like anyone who's anyone knows that sex acts in water the sensation is reduced by the water like you you reduce the amount of friction and sensation and everything so i mean it's just uh, you're just you're just needlessly tonguing a, a butt for for really for no appreciable gain so the I didn't realize this. Okay, so I'm learning some sex tips from uh, from Mr. Meadows here. So the water reduces the sensation. I thought water improved everything, but I guess like it's not like, like the best lubricant. Like me- messing around in a shower is one thing. Like completely submerged. It. Like have you ever you ever had sex in a hot tub? Uh, I you know I have, and it was a horrible idea. Yeah, it's 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 not great, and I guess because the water reduces the friction like it's it's like too lubricated. i feel like the friction wasn't the problem so much as the aftermath yeah like you know just the broth that occurred after that you want oh, to relax yeah. in the tub and like it was just kind of a it was a it was oh more, yeah it's fluid soup it was an or it was an ordeal yeah i felt like i tasted better after though yeah <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> so like if this name isn't gonna work which i don't know like i i really just i trust like you guys are all writers. I mean, yeah. what, what do you think? You you write a lot. Well, let's. I mean, so what is what is the crux of the podcast? What is what is the mission statement of your podcast? What is the point of this all? Uh, I wanna I wanna hang out with people that are funnier than me. Okay. And 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 talk to them. <laughs> it's really a simple concept. That's that's very simple. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like bathtub rim job. Fails to convey that. Panic attacks a little bit closer. Uh, uh, but I, I guess in, I mean, well, getting uh, coffee with comedians in cars or whatever, that's taken. Yeah, that, so, that was a good one, too. I was going to go for that. Uh, WTF with Mark Maron, of course, is off. Off comedy, bang bang is off the table. Yeah, you made it weird is taken. Yeah, you made it. Yeah, so all of these things. Uh, all better podcasts than mine. Ah, uh, some of them. <laughs> I, I'm just saying there are, there are several second halves of uh, WTF with Mark Marin that are never going to get listened to in my in my uh, my podcast queue. So yeah, do you listen to the uh, you listen to the guitar? 
to the what? You listen to Mark play guitar? Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, I haven't even listened to uh, like I haven't listened to comedy podcasts in forever, just because it got to a point where. I used to be, I worked in a warehouse and they were perfect. Like I could, I could listen to them while doing my job. Uh, but then it got to a point where like, I wasn't working in a warehouse anymore. So I'd listen to them when I drove or when I was like writing. But then I found that like after five minutes, I would just tune them out and they'd just become background noise anyway. And I wasn't paying attention to them. So, yeah. so now I don't listen to podcast. I listen to music when I work because even though I tune it out, like I'm still getting something out of it because it's music I'm familiar with most of the time. Yeah. And as opposed to like, if a two and a half hour podcast with Mark Marin and Obama is playing or whatever, I was like, I'm not gonna glean anything away from that. But if I put on a Bad Religion album or whatever, I've heard this Bad Religion album. Like it's it's already you, yeah. in my brain and it's just there. So you can fill in the blanks and stuff. Exactly. Like if you have to think extra about something, you don't have to go back. Yeah. I like I listen to podcasts all the time at work, and I find like what you're saying to be true for me. But I like muscle through. And I do actually like listen to podcasts twice in a row sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm a little obsessed with uh, with like <laughs> the need to listen to podcasts, and I think it's like how I deal with my ADD. Yeah, which I just recently like learned that I have actually, which is an interesting uh, development in my life. But like the act of like, for instance, like if I have you over like to hang out, like and let's say we like have a meeting about some like some sort of like festival that you're running or something, and I'm like a guy that has something to do with that, right? Mm -hmm. I. I will cook for you, and I've done this for other people because it helps me to be. I had now I have something to do, other than talk, and I can actually like. I don't know why that helps me focus on talking. Does that make sense at all? No, yeah, the, you you find a task and yeah, it occupies you. No, it, I get that. Like I can do this thing, and I don't have to worry about what my hands are doing, and then I can talk to you while I'm doing this like this rote thing that I've done a hundred times, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I get that. And and now I'm not like fiddling with my thumbs and shit and like tapping things and like yeah, it's 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 a thing. So like listening to other people's conversations while I work like actually helps me work. There you go. Is this <laughs> little life hack for all you out there with uh with ADD? <laughs> yeah, I think when when it's like when it's more a physical task, I think it works. Uh, cause you know, like I said, like when I was in a warehouse, it made sense. But then like when I started working like in sales for the t-shirt company I used to work for, like I was on a computer pretty much all day. So like I was sending emails, reaching out, like doing quotes and spreadsheets and all this uh, yeah. stuff. So I was a little more kind of taking up a little more mental real estate than just like pulling things from a warehouse and shipping out packages and shit like that. Yeah. Do you listen to any podcast anymore? Man, I, God, I, I, I was listening to How Did This Get Made? It's probably the last one that I was listening to regularly. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of fell off on that. So, I mean, I, I and even even after that, like the only, I, I would go back and I would listen to episodes of my podcast as like they were released. Um, just because yeah. I had an engineer who would like plug stuff in every now and then. So I'd go through more just to kind of see what edits and stuff he made. But, I mean that's that's all been over a year, two years at least probably since I've listened to any of them anymore. Yeah, and that was a uh, pop culture mixtape. No, so th this was a uh, pop culture mixtape was only a podcast for about two episodes, and then we found out uh, quickly that the show didn't translate very well to an audio only oh, uh, okay. medium because a lot of the performers do like PowerPoints and stuff. So there's uh, very much a visual component to the show. So I asked the podcast aspect of it after two or three shows. Uh, this was my 
originally it was a movie podcast called How Have You Not Seen This, where I had comedians, musicians, other people come on and we watch a movie that they'd never seen before. Uh, and then we talk about it immediately after their first viewing of the film. Uh, and then I, I pumped the brakes on that after our 99th episode just because it was time consuming. Uh, and then my friend came in and offered to kind of do like some higher quality audio, some editing and stuff for us. And like, and he'd take care of publishing and everything. I was like, yeah, sure. If I just got to organize like the viewings and the podcast recording sessions, yeah, I can do that. So we brought it back as Big Dumb Picture Show, uh, which was also the name of a short lived interruption riff track style show that we did at Gateway Film Center okay. for about four or five months where we'd. Uh, pick a movie the audience wouldn't know until like they got in there what we were watching uh but we watched uh i think it was like blood sport 4 uh street fighter the movie with jean-claude van damme batman and robin judge dread and masters of the universe did you do this live for a for a live movie audience Mm -hmm. yeah so which you had microphones Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah we did this at gateway uh and the, we got a couple of a handful of folks out to each one, um, but for like legal reasons, we weren't allowed to advertise the movies we were doing in advance. Oh, weird. So okay. it, it was always kind of a, a mystery, which I think is part of why we never really got the following that we wanted. And then after five months, they're just kind of like, yeah, we're not really getting a big crowd out for this, so we got to axe it, which is unfortunate because it was a fun show. Man, but, that uh, is really sad that that like because that's a great. That's a great th- people love mystery science th- theater, right? Like, yeah. And doing that live is so fucking cool. And there's like so many people in this town that like have that kind of ability, right? Like you, 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 you know them all. Well, yeah. Well, and I mean, well, and Drexel's done something similar. I think Studio Thirty Five has done a similar oh, okay. show as well. Um, and you know, like I, I think it, like I, I think there could be an audience for it, and I, I would certainly be interested in trying to bring it back again at some point, but. It's, it was a fun show. I mean, we we put in the work. Like we watched every movie three or four times. Like we we wrote jokes ahead of time. Like yeah. Like we we put serious effort into it. Like it wasn't just us watching a movie live and then fucking off. Like as we watched it, like we we bounced ideas off one another. Same way they do with Mystery Science Theater and Riff Tracks. Like we we put the work in for it. Yeah. Well, you're always doing something really, really cool, it seems like, whether or not, like, you're doing a lot, and sometimes it doesn't work, like you just said, but, like, even the ideas that don't work, it's, like, really fucking clever ideas. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like, these character roasts are a blast. Yeah. And you guys do those, like, every month, right? Every month or two, Is this a team of you, that that regular team, or you have different people involved, or are you organizing that, or what? So, I, I produce the majority of them, um... At least over the last three or four years, I have anyhow. Um, I know Upfront is doing a, a Pop Divas roast, which is the first one I'm not involved in. Uh, Nikki Winkleman put that together, but for for pretty much all the other ones, it's been me, and then I have kind of a central cast of people that I that I go to fairly frequently. Uh, like Nikki Winkleman's usually part of um, this Game of Thrones roast. The most recent one we did is the first one that she wasn't a part of uh, just because she's not familiar. Like she doesn't watch the show. So she's not familiar with that universe. Yeah. Uh, but Pat Deering and Bianca Moore uh, are kind of in my stable of regulars. Uh, Dave Berkey's another one I go to uh, Matt Loxley, who I just started pr- putting in them like last fall uh, has proven to be amazing at it, and I'm kind of kind of wishing that I'd brought him in sooner um, on these rows, but he's he's killed it on every single one he's done. Oh, that's great! 
But yeah, it's usually it's like there's four or five people that I always bring in, and then like I'll bring in one or two like outside people that I don't necessarily have on every roast. Yeah, and, uh, that that's typically so how those work. It's kind of like there's almost like a, a a little bit of a cast, and then there's like the uh, the uh, what does Saturday Night Live call the, the the featured players? Yeah, yeah, you get the features. Yeah, right. Because uh, I know I saw so I I I I saw three comedy shows the night of the uh, GOT roast, mm-hmm. and uh, and yours yours was one of them, and I only got to catch your set. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was really, really sad that I didn't get to see the whole thing, obviously. But I was also sad in particular that I missed out on what Nick Glasser was doing with uh, Hodor. Oh, my God. Nick, Nick Glasser's <laughs> Hodor. He, he, he did exactly like he only said Hodor for almost the entire <laughs> roast. Uh, and did, and it, did it? I mean, uh, and like, it's a challenging thing, but I didn't see it. So I'm going to ask you just point blank. Did it work? It did. There <laughs> were, it hit a few points where, where it almost felt like the audience was getting worn out on the joke, but then it kept going and like, they immediately got brought back around. But like, but that's the thing too, is he clearly practiced like his cadence and timing and delivery and everything. Like he, uh, there there was genuine like momentum behind the delivery of every line like he he put work into it and if any other comic had asked to do hodor i don't know <laughs> that i would have let them but nick <laughs> nick glasser has the kind of sensibilities where if anyone can make it work he can yeah and he he did like it landed that's great it went, it went better than i thought it was going to um <laughs> but yeah yeah he knocked it out of the park like everybody on that lineup did a great job but but uh his, his hodor stood out and matt loxley as Arya stark uh also was was really good like matt loxley easily hands down had the best costume of the entire yeah. cast like it, yeah he he went all in he does not half-ass anything on these shows <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 one of the people that I've been told I need to get on the show. Be actually, I I I, I don't know if it, we'll edit this out if it's not public knowledge, but that he's uh, making a move here. He is, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's been pushed back. He's not leaving until like mid June now, but definitely, yeah. He he's a he's a great young comic. Uh, it's it's unfortunate, like many promising young comics, he's he's getting out right after college, but he he's absolutely worth having on on your podcast worth booking on your shows yeah he is just a super funny super talented young man yeah i've been you know since i started this podcast it's like i've i thought i knew a few like i i knew i know i knew a few um uh comedians and what i've learned is that this is a incredibly deep bench oh like, yeah they're there are a, a lot of comics in the scene. I mean, there there are comics that even I don't know at this point because uh, I'm not as deeply involved in the open mic scene as I used to be. Just because, uh, frankly, I'm I'm so busy anymore. Like any given week, at least two or three nights a week, I'm out for comedy shows or anything. So the nights that are that there are open mics happening or whatever, it's like this is going to be my night to be a person and be at home and. And relax is like if you're just out grinding and it's all comedy all the time, like yeah. life gets boring really quick. Like you you can't write jokes about being at comedy shows every night. Yeah. Like you gotta 
you got to be a person. You got to live a life to have anything. You know, to I've draw heard from. I've heard some like national like touring comedians talk about the fact that all the jokes are about airplanes and hotels, mm-hmm. and that's a problem for comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like the the best jokes that I that I hear on a regular basis. Like, I mean, it, it's stuff from people's lives. Yeah. Like you know, if if you put ten comics on a lineup. And all of them think that they have, like, the joke about, like, airplane travel or, like, being on uh, the Megabus or whatever. Like, you're yeah. going to be hearing, like, ten versions of the same joke. But it's like, I guarantee you, like, on, on a Monday night, like, if they're just at home or, like, if they're out with their friends, like, they're probably having very different experiences. And that's what I'm, I'm more interested in hearing about than anything. Yeah. So you think it's, uh, like... I, there's an interesting thing with uh, with uh, the way people take comedy, the way that they they apply it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because like there's uh, comedians that like play characters, right? That mm-hmm. become a become a thing that's that they're not actually right, mm-hmm. and then there's people that like expose themselves, you know, and become incredibly vulnerable. Yeah, right. Which I think you're definitely the latter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's definitely 100% my speed. Yeah. Like you and I, I mean, Doug also, uh, Wonder Doug is the For same sure. in the same uh, kind of vein there, like with just like, hey, look at my life. Yeah. No, and th- and that's more interesting. Like, uh, and even going back to like the, the thing about like airplane travel and stuff, like comics having those experiences. Like, I think professionally, Kyle Kinane is like a perfect example of like a comic where like that's his life. But he finds these interesting takes on it. You know, like he has a joke about airplanes, but like he has two jokes about airplanes. Uh, But like one is about like it's nothing to do with comedy. One is about uh, a gay couple trying to have sex on an airplane next to him, which is a great story. Oh, my God. That sounds Um, amazing. And then another one is one of my favorite jokes is it's an 11 minute long joke. Uh, about a guy on a flight who brought like his own like pancakes in a Ziploc bag and like just was eating them on the flight like and and in the hands of a lesser comic like that's that's a yeah I was on an airplane and this guy was like eating pancakes out of a bag like what the fuck is that about like Kyle like it's an like it's an 11 minute long joke one of the longest jokes that he's ever put together and like there not more than 20 seconds ever passes without like a punchline hitting and and it's an amazing joke and like it's one of those few things like and again like he's traveling most likely for comedy probably but like it it's it comes across as just like this is something that happens as part of his life like it's not this like kind of glimpse behind the curtain shit which like if, if no more shows about comedians like ever get made like i would be fine i could die happy like we <laughs> like the sitcom like the comedian the classic comedian sitcom the classic comedian sitcom like i even what about crashing Cra- oh my god crashing i have a huge problem with crashing like oh you don't like it i i like parts of it i i think parts of it are absolutely true but i mean like there there are also parts of it like because pete holmes is supposed to be playing like this fictionalized version of himself right uh, and everyone on it is also playing a fictionalized per- version of themselves. Except the people who aren't. Right. Because, like, you've got, like, Lauren Lapkus, who's, like, a comedic actor, but, like, she's playing, like, his, the, the basis. His ex-wife, right? Yeah. Uh, which, which, again, is, like, based on his actual story. Yeah. But, but then you've got these other people in there who aren't, like, and, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, like, it really is, like, this authentic view of, like, you know, what it's like to be a stand-up right now. I was like, how? Like, who among us like like was doing stand up for six months and then like Artie Lange let us crash on his couch for like a month? Yeah. Or like how many of us like got to sleep in Bill Burr's basement? Like this 
This isn't yeah. like authentic. Like it, it, it's the same problem I have with like a lot of. It's a, there's definitely a fantasy element to it. Sure, and it's but it's just like it, it brings is disingenuous. Like I, I honestly, there are parts of the show that I like, but I, I think that Pete Holmes as himself is the least interesting part of the show. Oh really? Like I, I think the character, uh, the actress who plays Allie. Uh, his his girlfriend in the second season, who then goes like gets to go on late night with Seth Meyers. Yeah, like, I later. do love her like, part she, of the show. Like that character is great, and that character because she's is, hustling. Yeah, like that character is a little closer to the authentic experience, and it's like why like why am I not why are we not getting her story? Yeah, like because Pete's story so far seems it's like. Like there are almost no obstacles for him. He stumbles in and out of situations. Like these amazing opportunities. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's like oh, you bumped into Artie Langer, and nobody's like, oh hey, come feature for me and make three hundred bucks. Like, yeah, like four episodes in, then then he's like doing at least middling for T.J. Miller, who's a piece of shit, but like that's still like opportunity wise. Yeah. Like, you, you wouldn't you point. wouldn't spit at that opportunity, yeah. I, man, it's something I ask myself a lot. I would like to think. <laughs> That I would stick to my guns and 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 hold to my my ground morally speaking. Worst case scenario, I would take the gig, but I wouldn't promote it. I would <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't tell anyone. That's passive aggressive as fuck. Well, here's 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 the thing, man. Uh, I I am a man of principles, but I'm also a man who's fucking broke and needs to pay his bills. Yeah. So like it's. You know, I I would never I would never tell anybody like I middled. I would never list on my credits like has featured for T.J. Miller. Like that's worst case scenario. I would like to yeah. think that I would I would do the honorable thing and not take the gig at all. But I mean, we can sit here and speculate all we want until we're looking down the barrel of that gun. How can we know what we're going to do until we're in that situation? Yeah, I've never had to make that hard call. Right, I've ne- right. I've never I hope had I get to right. Yeah, like, I'd love ne- to see what I, happens. Yeah, I've never had to choose the moral high ground over the paycheck. Yeah. So I I can sit here and I can say what I might do, but I can't say what I do until I'm confronted with that situation. Yeah. I love uh, I love Apatow's like productions though, and like the it's a, there's a lot of fan service for me in that show because it's like here's a fun comedian that you love and like yeah and you know you get to see like well, I, uh, I, comedians I, be dicks sometimes yeah, which is and fun I, and i don't mind the cameos like i, yeah. I thought what the, the ray romano bit like ray romano this, was great yeah. when he was on uh the few episodes that they got Mulaney for were great oh, that bit with Mulaney was really funny but <laughs> where Mulaney played an asshole and oh like, yeah yeah no yeah. it was great but it, it, again it's just like you know, it's like this. yeah, I I totally get what you're saying, especially from your perspective, because you have a completely different look. See, like, okay, so Pete Holmes to me, like, I, I identify with Pete Holmes, like, because I grew up like in a religious uh, experience, sure. and I was like kind of dorky, like Pete Holmes is, and I'm a big guy, like Pete Holmes is, yeah, and so like I I feel like I have a lot of similar experiences, like I had the uh, non-existent father and adoring mother, yeah, that he always talks about, and I'm like shit, like I am Pete. Homes, yeah so i get a lot out of his experience you know and then i just recently got divorced and so like after leaving the faith and everything so like we have the a lot of the same like there's over stories like not exactly of course but yeah so but there, I, are, there are parts of it that <laughs> ring true the christian stuff with pete holmes like really ident- it really hits me it's like oh yeah i totally get that you know yeah and wanting to be the youth pastor and stuff and like all that like yeah 
No, and, I, and I think there are parts of his story that absolutely resonate. It's just, I think a lot of people, especially people who don't do comedy, they see a show like Crashing or, or case in point, I, uh, I just started working at a summer camp job last week uh, that I haven't been back to in a long time. Uh, and the, the CEO there who hadn't seen me in years is like, Oh, you still doing comedy? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm still doing this. He's like, Hey, have you, you seen that show? The, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel or whatever. And like, he just starts like kind of using this as an in to like talk to me and make conversation. Now I understand your comedy thing. Exactly. And I was yeah. like, well, no, like I, I haven't watched the show. Cause like, fr frankly, like I'm sure it's a great show. I just, I'm just burnt out on kind of all this glimpse behind the curtain stuff of stand up. Uh, like, yeah. I, I don't feel like anything I've seen really has done it justice. Like, like funny people came out like over 10 years ago. And I don't really feel like that gave any insight into the world of stand up. It was just like, Oh, Hey, this is what happens when a shitty person, uh, is given a death sentence and then is given a second chance and then decides to just keep being a shitty person. And then like stand up is just kind of like a background to that. And I was like, no, I came to see this movie because, like, I thought, I don't know, there would be some kind of glimpse and real insight into what it's like to do this because I was just starting out myself at the time, and that wasn't the case. And then, like, watching Crashing, I was like, okay, no, this is just Pete Holmes' story, and there's nothing really here. And people was like, oh, and there's that Showtime show, too. Um, I can't remember what the fuck it's called. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't I'm have dying showtime. up here or whatever it is. Okay. But I was like, like, who, who wants to know this? Like, who... Who wants to see behind the curtain of like what stand up is? Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not discounting the art form. Obviously, I do it. I think there's merit to it. Yeah. But I just, I feel, I feel like we're kind of at a critical mass with like a lot of the things that like are tied to comedy, uh, and and with stuff like people like YouTube stars like was this fucking Southern mama, like getting booked on just for laughs, like a YouTube personality yeah. uh, who then proceeded to eat shit at just for laughs. Like wait, when you say eat shit, like, like the, you the, mean, you so, mean dive, right? Yeah. Like they bombed, they tanked it. Okay. Uh, so it's this, I think Darren, <laughs> I thought you meant like somebody actually did the, uh, did the, uh, the, the, the literal eating shit. The routine, fear factor like, challenge. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to eat shit in front of this audience. Yeah, I'm going to GG Allen it. No, it's a, uh, <laughs> No, so I believe Darren Knight is the performer's actual name, but he does a character called like Southern Mama, uh, and and it's just all these like videos shot on a cell phone of him just doing like a bad Southern accent and a bad wig and like a bad okay. like Southern Baptist like suburban like mom and and they. For a reason, Just for Last was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, let's kind of reach across the aisle, show that we're booking, like, comics with, like, a left and a right perspective. Like, you don't have to do that. Uh, but then they booked them, um, a non-stand-up, to do a stand-up, and they they fucking ate it. Yeah. Um, Like, to the point where, com like, other comedians on the show were hostile to them. Oh, my and, gosh. Like, like, comedian, like, I've it's done like a, a game of blackjack where someone doesn't know how to play. Yeah, like, I've done a lot of shows where comedians will... Maybe be passive aggressive. I've I'm rarely on a show where a comedian is openly hostile to another comic, and like just like watching some of the, the behind the scenes footage of that. Like and and again, it's just because like there are all these new avenues. Like the landscape of stand up like is changing constantly. Do you think like, that helps you, or does it? I mean, which which, I, I which more hurt or help? I think it's a double edged sword. 
Because sure. case in point, like the the internet personality thing, like you get worst case scenario, you get something like Southern Mama, or you get like Vine Stars headlining clubs. Best case scenario, you get somebody out of it like a Bo Burnham, because that's how he kind of blew up. Yeah, yeah, he was a YouTube uh, guy. He was a YouTube guy, and then like he was definitely young, but, but he actually had talent too. He did. Yeah, he's a talented guy. But he's also like he has refined and honed that, at, like he's learned, yeah, as he's come along. Where a lot of these other comics don't, uh, like the worst case scenario I think of is like someone like a Rob Delaney, who very funny on Twitter, like super funny writer, but then you watch some of his stand up, like and it's it's loose, it's sloppy. Uh, like I've seen him live, and he's a funny dude, but like a lot of the times, like his jokes they don't they don't wrap up because there's a timing issue like he can write a joke but he can't deliver a joke maybe yeah it was, well it's like it, he doesn't have the structure down because oh, again like he he blew up like twitter because like he uh like he because he could do a lot followers like 40 characters exactly he could do like all these quick hitter jokes and like say these ridiculous things then when it comes to like constructing jokes and all that like it's just kind of not as much so it's 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 certainly it's a double edged sword because I mean, the way you make it now isn't the way necessarily that you made it like a decade ago. Dude, that's the same across the board for everybody in entertainment, exactly. right? Exactly. I was just like, this is a story that I that I bring up like fairly often uh, with uh, musicians, but I think it maybe maybe it applies to uh, uh, comedians too because like I was uh, just you know because I was like about to interview, I figured I'd listen to your like stand up on Spotify a couple times. Mm-hmm. Just so I was like, like knew like all the things that I needed to know, like was refreshed. And I was like, holy shit, man, you're getting mad numbers on there. Congratulations. Thank you. For your 2017 record. Listen to that on Spotify, y'all. So checking out your Spotify, I noticed your numbers were, were fucking great. And uh, I was talking with Nick D'Andrea from uh, Doc Robinson and Nick D and the Believers a while back. Uh, they were recording some stuff. And I used to talk to musicians here in town. And I was like, hey, how do you get your, like, when you're touring and stuff, do you get on radio stations? Do you promote your, like, tours, like, via radio? And and he kind of, like, smirked and laughed. He's like, nah, man. Nah, radio's dead. It's all about Spotify. And I'm like, no shit. Because, like, all I had heard before that is that Spotify ruined every musician's life. Okay? Like, we get shit pay from Spotify. They give us, like, cents on the, you know, like, one cent per play or some bullshit or half a cent maybe. Sure. And I've heard a lot of hate talk towards Spotify. And here's uh, Nick D who's, like, you know, he's a hustler, man. He's out there working. Him and John are killing it with uh, with Doc Robinson. They just got a million plays on Break My Fall uh, and on Spotify. And that's, like... There's a game there, right? Like, it's changed where, like, people from the bottom can fight through, right? Absolutely. Does that make sense to you as a comedian? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, I mean, take into account when I started back in, like, 08 or 09, um, Spotify, I don't think was around at that point. If it was, it wasn't around in the way that it's prominent now. So, like, I mean, starting out, I was like, I had no clue. Like, will people even ever hear the jokes I do? Like, will it fucking matter? And, like, after I put out uh, my second album, like, that's the first one that I put on Spotify. Like, the other one's on Bandcamp and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, but, I mean, it, it became, it was like, I, I published it there. I was like, anyone in the world can listen to this now. Like, this is just out in in the void, like, out there. Anyone yeah. who comes across it, like, it's there for them. 
and it, and it's nuts because like I grew up like in this shitty small town like and initially I I wanted to be a musician that's what, that's what I started doing before I ever did comedy uh, so I played in bands pretty much from like fifteen uh, right what, up until I graduated college. What's your instrument? Uh, I I did guitar and vocals. I started out as a singer just because I was the only good songwriter uh, at my school. Um, and then uh, towards the end of high school, I started getting better at guitar uh, and writing a little more then. And then from pretty much uh, right after high school on, I was guitars and vocals in whatever band I was in. Um, the problem was every band I was in didn't really want to do it as anything other than a hobby. And, uh, yeah. and that was frustrating because I was like, why did we, you know, why did we get good at our instruments? Like, you, why did we spend hours you practicing? You me as an idealist. Like, and, yeah. and they're just like, yeah, we're just going to, like, stay here, you know? Like, I I went to my, my best friend, who was also my old drummer's, uh, I went to his wedding last fall, and, like, his drum kits are just, his drum kits just, like, disassembled, like, in, in a corner of, like, a guest room they have. And I was like, man, you dude you were so fucking good like you're such a good drummer like and you're not even doing that anymore like like i i still write and i still play um every now and then like and I, i'd like to get back to playing at least on a semi-regular basis here and there like live and stuff but yeah you probably know enough people in the city to be able to do that well and that's that's the other thing too so the whole reason that i went comedy instead of bands was when i first moved here i i tried to form a new band yeah and uh organizing band practice is the worst fucking thing in the world um <laughs> so you could be independent and do comedy yeah comedy you don't have to worry about other people and and, and wrangling cats and all that exactly shit. comedy i'm the only one that's got to show up and i can do it band practice like my drummer like doesn't show up my bass player's not there like that's yeah. just me and then you're like fuck yeah and i and i even like i tried to do like the acoustic thing for a while and i can do that but like I I work best with a band. Like, have you ever considered? And I know this is hack as shit for a lot of people, but Bo Burnham does it. Have you ever considered the uh, music, the musician comedy thing? I've thought about it. I I think you definitely have to. You have to be really good at both. Okay. Um, and I I think I'm pretty good at both, but like I I don't think. Like I, I've dabbled in musical comedy before, but I don't think it—it's it, it, nothing exceptional. Like yeah. it, it's not like I'll go back and I'll look at some of the stuff I've written. And I was like, none of this really, like none of this is on a level with like Bo Burnham or Flight of the Concords yeah. or uh, Reform Tours or anything like that. And I was like, if it's at least not to that level, then why would I bother bringing it to the table? Like if I <laughs> if I don't if I don't think it can wow. hold its own yeah. against people who are good at it. Like, why would I want to throw that out into the universe? You know, yeah. like I that like the second album I like my first album even, like it, it was probably a little premature, but like I I stand by the jokes around the time, the time of my life when I released it. I think everything was as refined as it could be. My second album, same thing. It got to a point where it was like I felt like those jokes were pretty fleshed out, and I was yeah. I was ready to move on to something else. Uh, but I like I stand by them, you know. Like there's, I don't go back and listen to those. And I'm not like, oh man, I I shouldn't have recorded this joke, like because I I already trimmed the fat in the editing process, like before yeah. I published it. Because there there were a few jokes uh that I did live that like they didn't land, or I listened to them, and I was like, ah, oh, this isn't there quite yet, or I might have like thrown an ad lib in that didn't work, and I was like, why why did you wing it right there? It's so, like I trimmed it, um, 
but I mean, there I've never written, done like a musical comedy piece where I was like, yeah, no, I'm really proud of this. I should put this out into the world. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you probably don't have a strong passion for it to begin with. No, not not for musical comedy. Like yeah. it, it's fun to dabble with every now and then, but like I yeah. I I think because I think the last thing I'd want to send a, as a message is uh, if you don't think it's really fucking great, don't try. Yeah, but it's you're doing another thing really great. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I'd rather and I'd rather and that you do have that. more heart for. Like I I have seen so many mediocre like comics with the guitar like at open mics. Yeah, that's where the guitar is becomes a crutch, and exactly. that's the that's the trope that people hate. Yeah, one it's like uh, Pat Oswalt has a really great joke on one of his albums about. Uh, when he opened for a comedy magician and he talks about how like in the late 80s early 90s there was kind of like that comedy magician craze and the idea was like hey are you a good magician learn a crappy magic trick hey are you a good magician learn a couple of stupid dick jokes like and just throw it like just to kind of add an extra thing to it yeah and i feel like that's what a lot of musical comics do like i there are exceptions there there are some uh you take this 50 percent and this 50 percent and make 100 percent out of them or try to <laughs> yeah and there, there's some that absolutely pull it off there okay. are a lot more where like you see i'm doing it was like you're not particularly good at either of these things. So like why <laughs> why did you think that like this was the the Reese's peanut butter cup that you were giving us here? You know? Even the Reese's peanut butter cup is mostly peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean Well, it's mostly sugar. If we're yeah, just going to be honest. But, but I mean it's good though. <laughs> like yeah. like a lot of the musical comedy is like, "Oh, hey, here's this thing like I'm barely passable at." And here's this like street joke that I heard like over a D chord. Yeah. It's like why? Like who? Wh who fucking asked for this? You know, like I I love uh I love Penn and Teller a lot, mm -hmm. and they're not magic comedy. No, but they're, they're funny as fuck. Oh yeah, no, and they and they there are a few exceptions to the rule. Like they're they're good at both. Yeah. Uh, locally, people like Eric Tate and Michael yeah. Kent. Uh, are people who are are very funny to begin with, and they're and they're really good uh, magicians. So like they they're they're outside of that realm, where it's just like these these are things that they are just gifted performers at. Yeah. They've come from years of working and and honing that craft, right? As opposed to somebody who's just like, oh, I'm gonna learn a card trick and then do it over like dick jokes. Yeah, yeah, because dick jokes are always. That them and Tinder jokes. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, and that's that's a whole other thing. Like, let's talk about your favorite hack joke right now. <laughs> oh god. There. I mean, at this point, like, e even just the act of referring to comedy as dick jokes, like, I'm exhausted by. Like, I I mean, we we hit peak on that years ago. Like, Brian Posehn literally has an album called Fart and Dick or Dick and Fart Jokes or Fart and Dick Jokes, something like that. And, like, Brian Posehn's a comic I like, but, like, that came out, and I was like, all right, like, I think, like, this is the nail in the coffin. We need to stop referring to our comedy as dick jokes. Like, yeah. And, and I think it's, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's dismissive. I think, I think people do it who don't take comedy seriously. And I think comedians do it who, who don't want to take any accountability for the fact that, like, in the right circumstances, in the right scenarios, like, what we do can have an impact. It does have artistic merit. And, like, I, I just hate hate that idea that some people are just like, oh, it's just comedy. I was like, yeah. no, like, it is it is a fucking art form. Oh, like, yeah. 
Like, and, and because people look at it as like, oh, it's just comedy. Like, that's the same reason you see guys like who are four beers deep is like, oh, yeah, I think I could do this. Right. Like, right. Uh, there's almost no other field in the world I can think of. Like, nobody walks into a hospital, sees a brain surgery, and, and like <laughs> is three coronas <laughs> deep, and is like, fuck, man, I could do this. <laughs> or, hey, I've got a really good idea for a technique for you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Even let me like even even you think about like other art forms like nobody goes and watches a band play like nobody goes and sees like Bruce Springsteen or or Tom Petty and I was like fuck man I could do this like so, yeah. like some people are when they go to punk shows <laughs> but but that's but even then that's not dismissive like because the yeah. whole idea of punk was making it accessible was saying is like hey you don't need to be like stevie ray vaughn yeah. or led zeppelin or whatever like you can just pick up a guitar like and you can do this like it, it's about yeah. making it accessible it's about making it for everyone not saying it's like oh this is so easy that your dog can fucking do it being able to take three chords and make something like that that connects with people is really cocky yeah it really punk rock like it's fucking rad but, but even then like you think about it like so many like major hits are like even outside of punk like sweet home alabama is fucking three chords oh uh, yeah like it's a three chord song like there yeah. there are so many the 12 bar blues which um, like literally almost every major band at some point has incorporated is three chords like so, F Folsom prison blues three chord song uh, so, so train like, kept her rolling by Aerosmith, <laughs> three chord song. Like it, it's, I'm so amazed. Like I did not know you were a musician, and like now you know every song that has three chords. And I'm like, he's definitely a musician. Oh yeah, no, there's <laughs> there's a lot. Like and, and people are just and you sound like a you sound like a musician that has had to defend punk rock's three chord uh, trope for a while. Oh yeah, well I mean, <laughs> like punk rock didn't invent using three chords. Like I mean that's. Like three chords, that's all you... They didn't you, invent it. They fucking mastered it. That's all you need for, for a catchy, poppy song structure. Yeah. A lot of pop songs are the same way. Um, and and even then, like, it's it shouldn't matter, like, the number of fucking chords. Like, well, I was going to say there was three things that people think they can do really well, but maybe it's four. Maybe punk rock is also in there, but I was going to say driving, mm -hmm. fucking, and stand-up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that accurate? <laughs> I mean, yeah. people. Everyone thinks they can do those things, and they'd really talk a good game about it. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> definitely. I mean, but again, like uh, in stand up, like I, I don't think I've ever seen it as much in any other field where people are just like, oh, I killed. Like, there's this, there's this bigger sense of ego about it. Uh, there's certainly some. Oftentimes, comes a sense of entitlement. Um, I, oh, like if the crowd didn't like it, it's because they didn't get it. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Where yeah. it's like, oh, I guess my comedy is just too intellectual. I was like, or maybe you just fucking suck at comedy. Yeah, you didn't connect with this crowd. There's a reason why. Like, and and I I will say I have absolutely played rooms where I was like, this is not this is not the crowd for my material. They're not hip to my bullshit. Oh yeah, like, yeah. If you're gonna play jazz, don't take it to uh, Ozfest, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's the other thing. Like one of the. I think one of the things that I heard early on when I was starting, I was like, if you can't do well in any room, like you don't deserve to do comedy. I was like, I disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, fuck now. off like, with that. Like the because the longer I've been around, like just like you said, you know, like if I'm if I'm a punk band, like I'm not gonna go play like a fucking uh like a VFW yeah. or an American Legion or a cop like cop like <laughs> a policeman's ball. You're not gonna go over to policeman's ball. Yeah, like <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. I was like would you i don't know 
like there are audiences for certain things, you know, and uh, to think that comedy should somehow be above that. Like, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. Like, cause I, I've played towns where like, you know, it's a lot of people like where the median age is like 45 and it's like, these are, these are like small town, like blue collar folks. Like I went to college, like I, my life experience is not what theirs is. Like they're homeowners, they have families, like, I I live with my girlfriend and a roommate. Like I'm in my 30s. I I drive f- for Lyft for a fucking living right now. Like, like what what do I have in common with them? Like, w- there's no common ground to be had here. Most of them didn't go to college, so like, I'm I'm not gonna have any ground there with them. Like, some crowds just aren't for you, and that's fine. And I I don't think that comedy should be held to the standard that is like oh yeah no you have to be able to do well in any room. I was like yeah really no. like I I should I should have to do a clan rally and kill like what right right exactly no it's to- you're totally right like and and I think knowing that is a part of like as an entertainer and as a like I, I feel like this like is I'm just like I, I'm kind of uh, I don't make money at podcasting but I like to promote uh, people in Columbus I love this town and how much talent there is in it yeah and I just love to uh, help people out I'm 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 willing to admit I have this uh, this Columbus uh, fetish that a lot of people in this town have. <laughs> I hope a lot of people have that in a lot of towns, though. But the if you are really super, you're really good at something, that's great. Okay, you can do a lot with that. And if you can turn that into a product that is actually like real, like you know, valuable for people, that's good too. But if you can't sell it. If you can't get it into people's hands, then none of it is worth a damn. Yeah. And you have to know how whose hands want it and wh- how to get it to them, right? Like, Precisely. that's the trick, right? Well, that's like, like when I go on tour, you know, like I, I contact my friends in those towns, you know, like I find out where they run shows. Like, it, it's why I do that, you know, like I'm not I'm not trying to, like, set up my own shows. Like, I'm not because, like, my friends in those towns, like, they know who's going to come to what. Like, they know what they can yeah. get around to. Like, and I, I also, like, I know what towns I do want. Like, every time I go on tour, Knoxville, Tennessee, always on my list. Like, Nice. I, I've got a great deal of friends there. They've got a great scene there. Uh, That's so cool. I, I always have a decent draw. Like, when I go there, we usually get a decent amount of folks out for the shows. Uh, some of the best shows I've done have been there. Like, actually, next year before I moved to L.A., my plan is to record my next album at a place called The Pilot Light uh, in Knoxville. It's this cool little uh, dive punk venue uh and it's like it's cash bar only they don't have like a liquor license just beer and it's it's the first place in knoxville i ever played and it's one of my favorite venues and uh it's also a city where like i feel comfortable stepping away because like my first two albums i recorded in columbus like i kind of used that safety net it was like i know people in this town i know I can get uh, and folks you can out. play on the local uh things right the exactly. things that every oh yeah you know like it's all maybe like i've never heard you do anything as cheesy as the uh as the uh, uh oh chant oh, or something like never. that but it's kind of that I'll kill myself you, before I do right, that. Right, <laughs> obviously, and I don't. So I didn't want to insult you necessarily, but like maybe playing to a local crowd, that familiarity you can like play into the see, uh, oh the locality jokes and shit like see, that. See, but even then, I I I try to avoid that okay. because my my thought process uh, when writing is like if like it's one thing like if I do make an off the cuff remark like at a uh, an open mic or something, but like if I'm doing a show like. 
my my thought process is like, will this joke work in another city? Like, right. Because if it, if this joke won't work on the road, then this joke won't work. Like period. Like yeah. Um. I I I don't know that I've ever had like I I have a joke specifically about Beaver Creek, Ohio. Uh, that. It doesn't really have anything to do with Beaver Creek, Ohio. It's it has just, to do with every small town, probably. Exactly. So, yeah. like, when it, when I'm on the road and I tell it, you know, like, I I, I, I preface it. I was like, you know, I, was, I did stand up in a town called Beaver Creek, Ohio. And if you're picturing something, that's exactly, you're exactly right. Like, you, you know <laughs> yeah. what town I'm talking about. Yeah, so you can use this to connect with a lot of people. Precisely, yeah. It's, it's never as like, oh, I was doing Beaver Creek, Ohio, and then, like, I expect them to know what the fuck that means. Yeah. This is only for Beaver Creek people. I'm sorry if you're not in that clique. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, uh, I'm curious. I wanted to ask you about uh, one of your jokes, and I sure. heard this performed a couple of times, and it's fucking hilarious. And it's like one of these, uh, these jokes where you're dealing with a controversial topic, and it's the uh, the abortion bit. Uh huh. This is like it's been around a minute, but I've uh, since I've heard it from you, like uh, like on stage, and then I was was listening to it on the record. I was like. This is really fucking funny, and it's an opportunity for you to, like, fuck with people. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you don't, you don't you don't soft pedal much, and I feel like maybe you pulled back a little bit. What do you, what was your, like, evolution for that joke? Like, how did you, like, because you, you're, like, this joke is so, like, on the fence, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it, you're it's, talking about laughing for people that haven't heard it yet. You need to go listen to it, but it, the joke is pertaining to laughing at dead babies. Yeah, yeah. I mean the <laughs> the joke itself. I mean, uh, like like everything else, like it's it's based on uh, an actual experience. I was doing uh, a pro choice fundraiser show in Cleveland for uh, Narrow Pro Choice Ohio, and there were there were protesters and i i was getting kind of antsy before the show like not nervous or anything but i was like who the fuck are these people like yeah freedom of speech but like also fuck you yeah so like yeah. uh i i popped out for a second and like so they you were, went out for the abuse you went to meet them on the battlefield yeah kind of like I, well because I, I was just curious and like i said in the joke like i i've literally i've never run into this before yeah like i i've never encountered like somebody protesting anything that i was a part of mm -hmm. uh like and and this was before uh, Amber Falter and Pat Deering started the Stand Up for Choice show, which, which does occasionally like they get they get threatening Facebook messages. No, like they man. they occasionally get like maybe a a protester will show up, but like I just uh, had her on. I wish I would have talked about that. Yeah, man. but I mean, wow. but but yeah. So before that, like this was my first experience with it. Uh, I'd never run into the idea of somebody being opposed and not and it's not even that they were opposed to what i was doing they were opposed to to the reason that i was there at all so like it had nothing to do with me personally it was just uh like just the idea of women having access to abortion rights and health care and all that mm -hmm. uh so i went out there you know and they they kind of got shitty and and that's the thing it's like 80 80 percent of like the jokes and exchanges like in in that joke like those that's almost verbatim what was said. Like I, I, I do a little bit of editorializing on some of them because you take creative license with with comedy sometimes. Yeah, totally, totally. But uh, but I mean, the a good chunk of that is like were the actual exchanges. Um, Wait, did you actually try? To give this protester a funny version of a dead baby? No, that's 
that's that's the part oh, my uh, heart wanted it though <laughs> yeah no that that's the part that absolutely is hyperbole but like i oh, sure it's but, great yeah, but she did totally genuinely good. say she was like the lord made you beautiful in his own image blah 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 um like and she did ask like how i'd feel like if my mother had an abortion with me and i and i did tell her i was like that that would have been great for me that would have been wonderful <laughs> i wish my mother had gotten a fucking abortion like and and, and it was just oh, weird like God, they, she's gonna go back and tell her small group about that on wednesday <laughs> and they're gonna pray for you well and, and i mean and that's the thing is like this was <laughs> jesus this was four maybe five years ago now like yeah, this, all of our christian listeners just hung up on us yeah this uh, this this was a long <laughs> time ago like i i can barely even remember the actual incident itself just because like it's faded from memory but like i mean and then I, I went back in after I decided I was done talking with it, but like they were still there after the show. Uh, and I was there with my roommate at the time, another comedian, Lauren Bencast, because we both traveled up to do the show together. Uh, and even like, even as we were walking to the car, like they kept saying, and like I, I finally stopped being funny and I just started being shitty. I was like, go fuck yourselves. Like, who the fuck are you people? Like, what yeah. fucking right do you think you have to come in here and fucking tell people what to do yeah. with their bodies? Like, and and that's not a super funny thing. Like that was no. just me getting real. That's when it gets and just like, being exhausted yeah. and is like like what the fuck is wrong with you? Like I I'm just I'm I'm so over it. Like it's and especially like it's unfortunately kind of timely recently with like the heartbeat yeah, bill being yeah. passed in Ohio recently and everything. And and I mean obviously like I'm I'm not a woman, but like there's that doesn't mean that I don't sympathize. It doesn't mean that I'm not on their side as far as reproductive rights are concerned. Cause like, I, I personally, I, like I've been in situations where something yeah. like this could have fucked me in the past. Like, uh, I, I've had like pregnancy scares with girlfriends before and, yeah. and being able to, to get plan B easily, uh, yeah. like has, has saved me on a few occasions. So I want, I, I, I told Amber, like after we finished up, we were, uh, we were hanging out a little bit and I was like, man, I totally like dropped the ball. Cause I wanted to tell you about this and, and, and see if you thought it was a good idea. My, my, one of my protest ideas for the heartbeat bill was that the bill says that if you, if you have an abortion, that the person, uh, that the, the, the mother has to choose whether the, the, uh, fetus is to be buried or cremated. Yeah. Right? And it, and it, and it like has to be treated like a like a like a like a living baby, right? Um so so my my idea was that uh we would take the cremated remains and and spread them on Mike DeWine's lawn. <laughs> is that, what do you think? <laughs> is this is this we we get everybody together and like do this? Like, yeah, here you reap what you saw. Every life is precious. Now it's on your fucking lawn. <laughs> Yeah, it's too far. I don't know. Like, I just it was an idea I had. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not far enough. Maybe I, not far enough. You're right. Like, I kind of thought it was like I, I kind of thought it was brilliant, but it might be like maybe not the right. I don't know. Maybe like you know, let's take it and run with it. If I, you think I don't it's know. Great. At this point, like I'm just fucking fuming mad about any of it anymore. Like I've, yeah, I, I've had to to talk my poor girlfriend down oh, so man. many days because like she obviously is incredibly distressed by it. Like, you know, and and she's fortunate enough like that you know she has health insurance right now and everything and like and she and 
I mean, she we use birth control and all that stuff. So, like, I mean, we're yeah. the the odds of us having that situation happen anytime soon is is like slim to none. Right. But you know, but not everybody is fortunate. right. You're 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 privileged and and you know you're in a place where that's cool. Yeah, and I mean, and a lot of people like it, every time I see somebody, I was like, oh, maybe they shouldn't have been a whore. Blah blah blah. I was like, look, I think we can oh, all get on yeah. board. You with can the fuck idea. right off with that bullshit. Yeah, like we can all get on board with the idea that fucking is awesome. Like yeah. sex is fucking cool. Like it's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, when both parties are obviously on board, sex is a grand old time. But like, but but the idea is like it. I mean, people can use protection. Like there's still like yeah. that that slight margin of error. Like shit yeah. can still happen. Like condoms can still break. Yeah. Like. And you know, like, I'm sorry. Like the idea that that uh, certain people are just like. You know, uh, never they're never gonna make a mistake. They're never gonna get caught up in passion. Like is bullshit. Like we all get caught up in passion. Like on all sorts of different issues. Oh yeah. And uh, we could get caught up in passion and like, you know, have a night. Like you know, you have a little too much to drink and like, oh my god. Like you know, that was a you know that was great. But like I I wasn't thinking clearly. Like I should. You know what I mean? Like yeah, those mistakes are real. Then. That shit's real. Oh yeah. And you know it like. I'm sorry, but like, like you might not know if you're pregnant and the amount of time it takes for this for this bill. Like, you precisely, might, it, it's bullshit, and uh, that's where I stand on it. And that's that's where you know that's where we're gonna probably agree. Yeah, and no, people might not agree that are listening, but uh, you oh, know, those people are fucking wrong. They're idiots, well, and I'll say it. All right, here's here's Dustin Meadows' stance. Uh, unless it's your fucking body, who gives a shit? Yeah, like period. Like that's that's kind of always been my stance. Like. Well, not always. I, I used to be a shitty young man, and I used to was like, oh, well, you know, if it's my baby, like, I should know, too. I was like, no, I don't have to fucking carry something to term for nine months. Like, that's, like, yeah, I, I had handed making it, but, like, I'm not the one who has to deal with the the fallout. Like, has So let me ask you this. Has your abortion joke changed at all uh, with the current events? Because it's not, like, it's not a young joke. Not necessarily. I, I don't... I don't go back to the well on on stuff on the album too often anymore. You don't tweak it with current events? Not really. Like, uh, but it, I mean, it still stands like oh, as yeah, a joke. No, no, absolutely. Like, it's not and, like things have changed enough to where it doesn't work. Sure. No, and and if I do bring like that joke out, like I usually I don't adjust. I pretty much tell it as as it is on the album for the most part. Okay. Like, yeah, pretty much once. Like, there's only been one or two jokes that like. I've made it onto an album, and I've maybe added a tag or two, like after the fact, just because it added to it, maybe. Yeah, but okay. it, but even then, like it's it's not a common practice. It, it's something that I'll do, like in a longer set, like uh, if I need to fill a few minutes, like I'll I'll maybe throw an older joke in, just to kind of help pad the the length of my set, because um, I I've definitely, I'm finally starting to write a little bit more. Um, but like after I recorded that album, like shit, I probably went like six months without writing anything at all. Oh, yeah. So like it was a lot a of like, R &R. Kinda, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of like going back to stuff that was on the album and like maybe one or two of the new jokes that I had at the time that didn't make the album cut. Um, but, but yeah, for the most part, I try and do stuff that isn't on the album anymore. That isn't on either of them. So you, uh, you did, did you do the Seinfeld then? <laughs> Where you like cut off? You cut off material? 
Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, it took me a second to realize what you mean. Yeah, that, and that's a that's a fairly common practice. Is it? Uh, with a lot of comedians, like uh, most comics. Once it's on a, on a recording, it's like dead. Yeah, because like usually they're they're on like, and if they're touring, you support the album and then you kill it. Exactly. Like, which is, it's it's weird to me too, because like. The, to me, there are so many overlaps, like in in music, yeah, the hits and comedy, and like the way that I do it, like especially like because there's a lot of people think is like, oh, you shouldn't record an album until like Comedy Central comes to you or whatever. It's like, w- like why? Like I grew up listening to punk and like all that stuff. Like and yeah. the idea was like, if you wanted to record an album, if you had the material, like you recorded an album, and that's yeah. that's kind of been my approach to comedy. But like it, it's weird. Like the only time I've seen. Uh, like a nationally like known like touring comic do older jokes was that I saw Pat Oswalt at the House of Blues, uh, in 2010, which is when the first time I saw Kyle Kinane, uh, which was kind of like my my saw the Beatles or Nirvana live for the first time moment mm, or whatever nice. in comedy, where like I'd started doing it and I was like I wasn't sure if I was gonna keep doing it after college, but I was like fuck yeah like this is cool like this this is relatable like this is this is the kind of shit that I want to do I want to do stuff like this like I want to tour and like do comedy and play fucking like rock venues like this is cool as shit and uh pat oswald like because he he was just starting to work like on a new hour at that point uh because i think i think my weakness is strong had just come out his uh like third or fourth album and so he was he was starting to run the new material for what would be his follow-up but he only had probably 30 40 minutes of that and then uh, 10 minutes of riffing because uh, he played Cleveland the day after LeBron announced that he was leaving the first time. Uh, so like the witness posters were still up in Cleveland, but Cleveland was pretty salty about it. So uh, Pat <laughs> Pat Oswalt like wrote ten minutes like on Cleveland's the Cleveland's almost always a little salty though. Oh yeah, but they got a lot to be salty about. They were incredibly salty on the day after uh, what what did they call it? The decision, yeah. I believe, is it's it's referred to in the <laughs> annals of history. Uh, but Patton came in like with just ten minutes, just like shitting on LeBron. It was super funny. Uh, and then he did like half hour or so of new stuff. But then like he literally started asking for requests. Like he's like, are oh, there? Wow. He's like, are there any jokes that you guys want to hear? And did was, you yell out? Oh, absolutely, I did. Uh, What'd you call for? I called for the uh, the the at midnight I will kill George Lucas with a shovel bit, uh, where where he talks about uh, going back in time and killing George Lucas before he makes the prequels. <laughs> um, he ended up not doing that one, but he uh. did. He did do uh, he did the Stelladoro breakfast treats. Uh, which is like the the mean nagging couple yelling at each other uh, about the 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 biscotti or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> uh, and he did like one or two other old ones, but it, but it was insane. I, I've never been to a comedy show since where where that has happened, and and yeah, it was it was man, such hits. it was such like a weird <laughs> singular thing, and like and yeah, you really you you don't see that in comedy, like. Like comics don't come back out for an encore, like and do, like stuff from the first album or whatever. It's just yeah. like, it's like, hey, here's the hour, that's it. Thank you all so much. Now yeah, we're done. I saw one, uh, an encore. I, saw, I don't see a lot of uh, national like uh, comedians uh, uh-huh. just because they're so goddamn expensive. Oh yeah. But one day, uh, one one year for my birthday, uh, I I got tickets to see Seinfeld and went and saw him at one of the theaters here in Columbus. And his encore was literally just riffing with the audience, and they shouted shit out, and he riffed on it. 
And I couldn't fucking believe how, like, that it wasn't planned. I mean... You know what I mean? Like, this, he was so on point and just nailed every fucking, like, yell. I mean, and that's, like, my... I couldn't believe it. My, my, my criticisms of him aside, like, I mean, he... There's a reason he's been doing it as long as he has. Like, he's, he's fucking honed those skills. Like, yeah. he's been doing it for... Shit, what, three decades now? Yeah. Something like? Like, I mean... No, he's 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 one of the... I, I mean, he's kind of a like a, a legend, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which I... <laughs> you would have criticisms of Seinfeld, wouldn't you? It's, well, that's... So, so my, my big criticism, it, it was just entirely the whole, like, when, like, him and Chris Rock were coming, I was like, oh, yeah, you can't do colleges because they're too PC, blah, blah. I was like, uh, fuck that. That's interesting. Like, and I hate that because like college crowds are some of the best audiences I've ever done. And you're, I mean, you're super, uh, you're, 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 you're well on the liberal side, but you haven't gotten any kickback for anything from a college no. crowd. Well, and that's the thing. I was like, I, to, to so many of those, anytime a comic complains about things being politically correct, they're just mad because they can't like use racial slurs or something. Now Seinfeld isn't using racial slurs. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying Seinfeld is. I'm not saying Seinfeld is. Yeah. But that's the thing too is like I don't think like when Seinfeld released that statement, I don't like I don't think it had anything to do with his personal experiences yeah. with college crowds. Like I like he could go still play a college and I'm sure he'd do fine. Like I I think if Seinfeld ever had any issue doing a college crowd, it's less a matter of political correctness and more just that like he's an older comic who's not going to relate to a bunch of fucking twenty somethings. Yeah, like you know what you're you're totally right. That's like, a great point. And that's and I mean he doesn't understand the culture anymore. Exactly. Well, and that's like it, it reminds me. Uh, I saw Tom Petty two almost two years ago now on the on the what ended up being the final tour for him and the heartbreakers on their 40th anniversary tour and uh joe walsh opened for him and like every every other song or so like joe walsh would like jump in here and like make these cracks about millennials and shit i was like you realize like i know this audience is like 70 percent like fucking old fuckers like you but like there are people like me my age like who who enjoy tom petty like who enjoy this music like and you're just out here like what like what for the sake of a joke like alienating potential fan base like and, and none of it was particularly biting or funny or original like it was all yeah. like fucking street jokes but it was just like why like why do you feel the need to come out here and like potentially like ostracize potential audience members potential fans like it, it was unprovoked like it was just like it was like literally just him trying to appease his fan base. And I was okay. like, "This is, this Cute. is unnecessary. This is stupid." And it's like, yeah. it's the same thing when you see people fucking crack joke. Like when you see com comedians crack jokes about millennials, like, "Oh, millennials on their yeah, phones." It's getting oh, it's real pumpkin weak, right? I was like, that millennial shit is old. so tired. Right? It's hack. Yeah, it's super hack. And it's like, and and it's the same with the PC thing. I was like, "No, you're just mad because you can't say fag anymore without pushback." Right. Like that's that's what it comes down to. And the funny thing is is that you can actually you can actually use that word and and I've seen like people do it with those crowds and it and it and it plays. Yeah. Because that word isn't the thing. It, everyone knows what you fucking mean. Yeah. And they know when you haven't thought about what you mean. Sure. Well and that's the thing too is like when I started out I had a joke that used that. And the longer I did that joke, like it it wasn't me saying it. It was like 
a character in the context of the joke saying it, but like after a while I looked at it and I realized like this, like this is kind of in there as like a shock punchline. Like it, it, it doesn't necessarily add to the joke Yeah. and the joke isn't that strong of a joke to begin with. So like eventually, like I cut it, I made a decision. I was like, is this worth, yeah. Is this serving a purpose? Yeah. Like is, is this worth potentially putting out a number of audience and like making people feel uncomfortable, making people feel, like I, I yeah. have something against them, or like is this joke just better off just like ending up on the cutting room floor? Like that sounds a little bit like Gaffigan's response to vulgarity in his bits. Yeah, like he says, does it help? Well, then why are you doing it? No, precisely. And and I think like I, I would never you know stop saying fuck or whatever in my set just because it was like Thank oh you, you should that swear. I love that. Yeah, like, but I mean, but there there are words that that essentially can be weaponized against groups of people that do have a history that, that carry a legacy of, of brutality and harshness. And like, you have to think about that. Like, cause a lot of people was like, Oh, it's a freedom of speech thing. I was like, yeah, like it's, it, it really Perspective isn't. Like, is something that's so hard for people to get a hold of. Like it, right. Like, it, you know, like I have my perspective and like, it's just so impossible to understand really what a word means to somebody with a different perspective. Yeah. And just to be able to respect that really shows a lot of maturity, I think. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you don't need it. Like you don't need it. No, it, it, it doesn't like save the joke. And that's yeah. like, but sometimes I feel like if you actually do understand the culture, if you do understand the perspective, then you can actually like it, it, it can be funny if you actually understand it and you you have that familiarity. But like you're playing with fire if you don't like sure, don't there, fuck around. You there, know? This is like this means something real to real people. There, there are always exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Like, uh, and and that's how I always look at it. It's like, you know, like I know how I feel about it. Like I. Very few things like I'm absolute, like 100% on. Yeah. Like, case in like one of the exceptions to that rule, uh, Eugene Merman on his first album has a really great joke about how uh, this woman he knew approached him. She was like, I'm allowed to say the word fag because my brother is gay. <laughs> and, okay. and, and his response to that was like, that's, that's not how this works at all. And he was like, for example, I'm allowed to say the word fag because my heart is filled with hate. Like, and, and it was like, he he completely like makes the point of what he's getting at like yeah. and the and it's a great joke like and uh, and it's this real quick thing but like yeah. you like in, in the space of 10 seconds if you were on the woman in the joke side at the beginning by the end of it you're just like oh okay no this is what i sound like when i'm defending myself like yeah yeah that's and that's that's amazing that when when and when a person can get to that point when they can realize like oh yeah, yeah. You know oh, that. I'm the asshole. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, speaking of perspective, I like to do a quick, quick subject change because there's something I wanted to talk to you about, and we are like having an incredibly long conversation because you're so easy to talk to. But you hit some topics that are really fucking dark. Mm-hmm. Like you get like when we talked earlier about how you are the type of comedian that like really like shows yourself that like you know what I mean ex- that that is vulnerable in front of your audience. You hit on some shit like that is like sometimes like actually like makes me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I'm still laughing because they're good jokes. <laughs> you know what I Thank mean? You. <laughs> yeah. But like, I, there's something beautiful about comedy's ability to uh, deal with that shit and make you laugh at things that are that are that are, you know, heartbreaking. Yeah. But like, man, like, 
with some of the stuff you talk about, like it's it's like, oh shit, man, this is real life. And you talk about the fact that you've you've you know dealt with depression in your life. I also deal with depression, so that's personal to me. Mm-hmm. And like some of this talk that you have in your bits, my therapist would be like, you shouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So like what is that? Like where where is your line there between self-care and self-deprecation? Uh I I I mean a lot of it comes from like the, this is there there are a lot of people who say that comedy is their therapy uh which I think is fucking reckless. Okay. Uh, I I think anyone who thinks comedy is therapy should get actual therapy. Uh cuz it's way more useful, it's way more constructive. I think I, I think comedy can be cathartic, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it can serve as a release, but not necessarily as a means of confronting or processing or working through uh, those issues. Um, for me, it's just like art has kind of, even when I was in bands, like that was kind of how I dealt with those feelings, with how I dealt with, with shit like my, my issues with my alcoholic father, with issues like my depression, uh, with issues like kind of starting to feel ostracized from like my, my social groups like that was how I addressed it because that was how I was able to articulate it. That's how I was able to kind of confront it in a context that I had some control over. And that is, is very much carried over into stand up and, my, my thought process for that has always been, and again, I cannot stress enough, do not use comedy as therapy. Uh, use it as a means of addressing with, sure, but... Let me uh, ask you a clarification question there. When you say do not use comedy as therapy, are you talking about as a consumer of comedy or as a purveyor of comedy? Either. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of stand-up comedians I, I have heard refer to stand-up as their therapy, and... And that's not enough. Um, like literally the only reason I don't have a therapist uh, is because I do not have health insurance. Um, if I did, uh, it would probably be a very different story, but I don't. Um, so I, I get like I, I, I stress this is a means of, of release and expression, not a means of actually necessarily confronting or addressing or dealing with those issues. Um so when when I write about those things, my kind of my perspective is there's this horrible thing here, whether it's my depression, whether it's, you know, thoughts of suicide, whether it's thoughts about my between me and my dead dad, whatever it is, my my thoughts going into that is what how can I productively channel this? How can I make this into something that people can relate to, something that people can enjoy? Um, and, and that's what I try and do is I try and take this darkness and put it into something that maybe will make people smile, will make them laugh, will even make them say is like, oh, hey, I'm not the only person. And that's that's the motivation for a lot of, of my writing is just trying to channel it into something useful and productive and helpful. You think laughing at, at yourself is is helpful? Like, I mean, are you inviting other people to laugh at you, or are you inviting everyone to laugh at themselves? I, I don't I, – I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think, like, like on the whole, every, everything about us being here, being on this planet, being here under the circumstances we are, 
uh, under the environments and the social constructs we are is is fucking silly. Like there's so much stupid about us being here. There's so much ridiculous about like the fact that any of us are still fucking alive at all. Like that I I I I try to approach it from you know like we we sh- we need to be able to laugh about this. If we don't like we'll all fucking lose our minds. Like there's there's a lot of terrible shit going on now. There's been terrible shit going on since the beginning of fucking time. And like my my approach is always like try and you know laugh about it, try not to take things too seriously and try not to be one of the people that contributes to to the worsening of our planet, of our friends, yeah. of the people around us, of the environment, all that. Like basically every day my my idea is to get up Try and do better than the day I did before, and and try and do something useful, something productive, yeah, something that people can enjoy and appreciate, and that's just kind of my my perspective in general, I guess. I I totally agree with you on the uh, concept of not using uh, comedy as therapy. Mm-hmm. That being said. There is something therapeutic about sharing your experiences. Sure. And that can be relished, right? Like, without, like, definitely go and see your therapist and definitely talk to your friends and definitely deal with your shit. Deal with it in a real way. But, like, yeah, also fucking laugh about it and talk about it and get it out there. Because don't be ashamed of that shit. Shame is the fucking worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. Yeah, no, shame's the enemy. Exactly. If you can talk about it, then you can fucking deal with it. Yeah, and that's and, and that is beautiful about comedy to me. Yeah, no, and I, and I would never tell people, you know, like don't enjoy comedy, like like don't don't use it, like because it, it can be therapeutic, it, it can be like uh, like helpful to talk about those things. My my concern is more, I I have just heard it expressed multiple yeah. times by other comedians that like like oh this is therapeutic. So I don't need to do anything well, else. And, and, that, and that's and that's the reckless part. There's a thing about comedy that there's a lot of broken fucking people. And I'm 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 not a comedian, but like I get it. Like there's a lot of broken people in comedy so and, and and there's people that are dealing with shit. Right. That is a thing. Right. So and that's. So that's something I don't subscribe to. Okay, tell uh, me, correct the, me. The, the concept of broken people, it, it's something I very much used to buy into. Okay. But over the years, as I've gotten older, as as I've lived more, as I've shared more experiences, as I've met more people who've had some of the same struggles, like I I, I don't hold to this idea that people are broken. I, okay. I believe people are people, and we've all been through some shit. But like at the end of the day... You think that gives too much credit to the negative, maybe? I, I think so. Okay. I, well, and I, I, it's the same. I, I don't like the idea of viewing people as damaged goods either. Like, because oh, I, I, that's I, pretty I, healthy. Yeah, I, I don't think that's fair. Like, I, I don't think it's constructive. Like, like I mean, we've, we've all maybe we've all said shitty things. Maybe we've all done shitty things. Maybe we've all had shitty things done to us. Like, whatever it is, like, we're those shouldn't be things that define us. Those shouldn't be things that set us apart. Like, like, yeah, I've got friends who are fucking alcoholics. I have friends who've had DUIs. I've also had several of those same friends, like do their best to fucking get their shit together in light of those. Cause like, you you know, you fall so far and you realize like you need to fucking make a change or, or you're going to be that way forever. So like, I, I like as pessimistic and as dark as I can be, I, I, I'm somewhat 
optimistic. I'm hopeful that people can and will try to do better. And, and I think they should. And, and I think like one of the first steps towards that is not looking at people as broken or damaged, but just looking at them as people because we've, we've all, we've all been through shit. We've all got some kind of fucking tragedy. We've all got some kind of horrible thing in our past or our present or like just in our brain all the time. And, and I think singling ourselves out because of those things just further contributes to kind of making us feel alienated and ostracized from, from quote unquote normal people. You just, uh, you just kind of fucking blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, you're so right, man. we like, we all like, we all have an example of somebody that has had it easier and somebody that's had it worse. Mm-hmm. And, because of the fact that we haven't had it as easy as this other person. Oh, their parents stayed together and, oh, they didn't have, you know, uh, drug abuse in their family and they didn't have depression and they didn't have these problems that I have. You know, I'm broken compared to them. No, fuck that. They're also broken compared to someone else and you can look at it that way or you can fucking change the paradigm and look at it as we're all people dealing with our lives and we're moving through it and the, the, and the, the better we can think about it, the more healthy we can think about it, the better we'll be, right? Yeah, no, and and that's I mean that's what it was like. That's uh, the one man show that I did last year. Just fucking killed me already. Like that, a lot of that show was kind of dealing with with those things, uh, with addressing like personal tragedies that I've come through. And and again, like my my journey might have been different if I if I'd stuck with therapy as a child, if I'd stayed on medication as a child, uh, but I didn't. And I, and I'm not saying like. I'm not telling anyone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps because that doesn't fucking work. Yeah. But but I do think that that no matter how bad it gets, for the most part, I think a lot of us do have the ability to make positive changes, uh, and, and I hope that people will. Like, and I say this as a person who spent way too much of my life believing the opposite of the things that I'm saying now. Like, I spent a lot of my twenties convinced that I couldn't be good as an artist unless I was miserable all the time, unless I was unhappy all the time. And and that's not to say that like I'm I'm magically fixed or cured or whatever now. Like, but I mean I've I've been relatively happy the last couple of years of my life. Like part of that's been that I've been in a really good supportive relationship. Like that that didn't fix things. Like getting a girlfriend didn't magically like take away all the dark thoughts and problems that I had before. But but it made me stop and think like Okay, everything in my brain, the way I act on a day-to-day basis, this isn't just affecting me anymore. This is affecting another person that I care very much about. Like so like what what can I do to kind of reconcile those things and and try to do better and and in that time like I've been trying and you know, some days are better than others. There're still days where I'll wake up and for no reason at all, I won't want to get out of bed. Like and I'll yeah. spend way longer sleeping than I should or whatever. Yeah. But for the most part, classic uh, depression nap. Exactly. But like, but most days I get up and, and I, I do, I try to stick to those things, those values, those ideals that I've, I've been talking about. And I, it's, it's fucking exhausting being sad all the time. It's exhausting being angry all the time. And, and I think a lot of this like my girlfriend frequently tells me, she's like, "Oh, you're so smart. Like you, you know these things." Is like part of that's like 
I've got eight years on her. Like, I've been around a little bit longer. I've seen more shit. I've been playing this game. Say my first rodeo. Yeah, exactly. But, it, but I mean, <laughs> but but a lot of it comes down to just, like, I, I've been through these steps before. I've, I've seen what happens when you're just sad and angry all the time. You don't fucking get anywhere. You don't gain any traction. And especially if you're not careful with it, you push the people that you do want around you away. And, and I've, I've gone through a lot of that and I finally just hit a point where I was like, no, like there, there has to be a better way. Like I can still, I can still be vulnerable as an artist. I can still be a human being. I can still be funny. I can still do these things that I want to do without being a fucking sad sack all the goddamn time. Yeah. And, and well, that's yeah, what I've been trying to do. And part of that is, like, living your life and living your best life. Exactly. Like, like, man, like, that's the thing. If you can get up and do shit like fucking create Whiskey Bear and do, how, and do these, like, you create so much fucking content in this town. It's insane. You're one of the most prolific com- comedians in town, which is why, I like, I, you know, you're one of the first people I'm calling, you know, is because I know you because you're out there and your name's out there and you're doing shit all the time. And for a person that deals with depression, like I identify with that, like that's fucking incredible. And it's an inspiration because it's like, I got ideas too. I should be out there pushing these ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's really, really encouraging for me, you know? And by the way, like while we're on the subject, we should probably talk about Whiskey Bear. Yeah. Uh, the The last festival is coming up days away. It's um, you were just about to do it, yeah. When is it? It's the it's it's, it's, the it's six, May. 16th through the 21st of May. So by the time this is released, this will be a a memoriam. Yep, and R. that's R. that's fine. That's fine. But it's the last one. What's what's the uh, is? Are you are you killing the entire brand? In a sense, uh, like I'm still going to keep producing like weekly shows and like the new monthly comedy town that we just started. Yeah, um, I want to get to that too. Like, we'll put a pin in, in comedy yeah. town real quick. But, um, like, I'm going to keep producing shows. But the idea is, uh, me and Michelle, my girlfriend, um, we are we're, we're planning to move to Los Angeles in 2020. Oh shit! Um, and newsflash. Yeah. And that's and and a and a handful of people have known about that. Like um now, now everybody knows about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lampshade media exclusive motherfuckers. <laughs> but it's it's something we've been talking about since her and I got together a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, because she's an actor, I'm a comedian, and we've we kind of both like we spent our whole lives in Ohio for the most part, and we feel like we've kind of topped out here. So, so Whiskey Bear is kind of like Columbus's baby in a way. You and Columbus's uh, love child or something, maybe. It's. I mean, it's Whiskey Bear comedy itself is me. Um, the festival is myself, Nikki Winkleman, Pat Deering, Tom Plute, and Lisa Berry. But like the rest of the year, it's it's pretty much just me. Like yeah. I, I produce the shows, I book the shows. Uh, I did recently bring on my friend Luke Swisher as a co-producer uh, on a number on all of the my regular Whiskey Bear shows as well, just for my sanity's sake. Which, <laughs> in retrospect, I wish I had done much sooner. But um, but but yeah, Whiskey Bear is my thing. So like, when when this last festival ends, uh, it's kind of gonna be a bullet in the head of the brand. Like I. I'll probably still keep Whiskey Bear around, like just for the sake of like the branding for the shows. But like, okay. like I'm I'm gonna uh, deactivate like the Whiskey Bear website and like everything will just be on my personal. So comedy is Comedy site Town gonna keep going? Cause, yeah, uh, yeah, Comedy Town. So I mean, 
Uh, we just started, like, literally at our first show uh, last night at Cafe Kerouac. Yeah, and this was um, what, May 10th. Yeah. I was there. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I'm excited for it moving forward. Uh, Mike Heslop, the, uh, the owner of Cafe Kerouac, who's a super cool dude, super great guy, uh, did, like, a public call roughly a month ago asking for a new show to fill in the second Friday of every month, and I reached out to him with this kind of loose idea I had for a comedy variety show slash talk show. Uh, cause last year I ran a show called whiskey bear tonight. We, we did three shows, uh, where it was very, it was like a late night format, like with Conan or Seth Myers or whatever. And it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work to produce. Like, yeah. like we literally, we, we put about as much work into an episode of whiskey bear tonight as we did, uh, an episode of Monday night live which was like three or four different meetings, like in a rehearsal leading up to it. And it just became like this huge time thing. And like, if we were making money and getting paid to do this, that'd be great. But like, it's very much a labor of love. So we, we just weren't able to like kind of keep that pace up after those first three shows, we kind of burned ourselves out on it. But I, I liked the talk show aspect of that. Yeah. I, and I loved having Ryan Branch as a co-host because he's, he's a great sidekick. He and I have been friends for years now. Uh, we've got a pretty solid rapport with each other. And I think we, we do a pretty good job of naturally kind I'm, of playing off one another. He just did some work here and uh, and you were here for that. Mm-hmm. And like I, I, I told him like to his face, I just came over and I'm like, hey, uh, your your voice is fucking golden. Oh, yeah. He, I just love your voice. And, I just would listen to you. I would listen to you read fast food menus. You and David Attenborough are the yep. only people that I would listen to anything he's, you he, say. He's got that. Am- <laughs> he's got that amazing voice, and on top of that, he he has really good comedic instincts. Yeah, uh, clearly which, from his voicemail bit mm-hmm. in the uh, oh yeah in the first uh, Comedy Town, uh, he couldn't make it or whatever, and so he he they played a voicemail uh, recording, uh, you know, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah and it was it was amazing yeah he's good like literally i i gave him very loose instructions. going on a treasure hunt the reason he couldn't be at the show is because he found a map at a uh an antique a, map convention yeah, yeah he was at a, at a convention he found this map it had a red x and that was the impetus he couldn't like let that red x go and like then he went on about like his plans for like <laughs> It was, it was, it was beautiful. I couldn't believe how fucking great the writing was on that bit. Oh yeah, and, and, that, and that was all him too. Like I, I gave him very loose instructions. Like, hey, you need to leave a voicemail saying that you found some kind of opportunity, like something that's taken you away from us, uh, that you think is going to be this huge deal, uh, that's going to not pan out, so that next month you come crawling back to us. And yeah. that was the only instruction I gave him. And then he gave us that gold, like. And and he's one of my <laughs> he's one of my gold. he's one of my favorite people to work with, uh, and Luke Swisher who who is my who is our producer for the show. So it's it's me and Ryan is the the host, and Luke is our uh, our frantic producer, kind of a scooter from the Muppet Show role essentially. <laughs> Him sticking his head through the curtain is so goddamn funny. Oh yeah, no Luke's Luke's <laughs> great too. He uh, y'all need to go see Comedy Town. Um, let me tell you. Yeah, second Friday of every month. He's uh Cafe Kerouac. It's fucking great. But yeah, we're we're excited to keep it going, especially now that we've got the first show under our belts. We're we're already kind of talking about what to fine tune, what to replace, what we could still plug in, um, and it's just I, I, I like doing, kind of like these more abstract, like non stand up 
uh, shows just because it's yeah. it's a chance to work Mitch. different parts oh of my, my brain. Oh my god, Mitch! I've never seen his routines before. Oh like, yeah, Mitch Rose is a fucking amazing. He is a super talented actor. He's, he's a super funny, super funny dude. Um, and yeah, we we hope to have him back on the show. Uh, as regularly as we can, even if it's not as Sandy Champlain. Uh, he He's is... got several characters from what I hear, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. He... And his characters are top-notch. Oh, yeah. He's he's a he's a great dude. He's super funny. Uh, he's also a member of uh, Actual Wolves, the ske- another sketch group in town. Yeah. But, yeah, Mitch is a super funny dude. Nice. Well, <clears throat> I, I hate to do this, but, like, I'm kind of, like, you've made me a little anxious with uh, – the whole like bathtub rim job name. Okay. And uh I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of a I'm I'm a fan of comedy, but like and I love talking to you guys, but I'm a little nervous like with like creating things and like I don't know what the fuck to call this this show. Uh, um is there I mean you've yeah. made me really fucking nervous about this name now. I don't think I can go forward with it another fucking episode. Yeah, no, bathtub rim job is out. Um I think moving forward uh, podcast colon. Does anyone still give a shit about these? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Is this is this it? Is this is this comedy gold? Like, tell, I feel like I'm the meme of that like anime character. Is this what comedy gold is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's your title moving forward. Because if if nothing else, people will look at that title and they'll know that it's referring to a podcast. <laughs> Does anybody still care about these things? Does anybody still give a shit about these? Uh, give a shit. Okay. Uh, very, very good. Okay. So, Lampshade then Media then Presents. Then, then they'll know that it's a comedy podcast. <laughs> okay. So, say, like, Lampshade Media Presents. Podcast. Does anybody still give a shit about these? <laughs> Perfect. That, okay. I'm, you know what? I'm feeling it. Perfect. I am feeling the love there. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call it that from now on. Sounds good. I, I will never change the name of this podcast again. Good. I, I hope you have many, I have many episodes of success with it. I have complete confidence in this in this project going forward. I I'm really feel good, man. Thank you very much. Way better than what it used to be called. I yeah, I agree. I, I you know I love Amber, but uh, you know maybe uh, let's you know. let's not even speak speak the, that old podcast name. We let's won't just throw it out. It's gone. Podcast. It's gone. Does anyone still give a shit about these? Yes. The rebranding is official. Yep. Well, it's going to be on the stickers soon. Those Perfect. will be out to you, uh, out to you fans, very shortly. You will see them on on urinals everywhere. Hell yeah! <laughs> Thanks, Dustin. Thank you for coming out. Absolutely. Where can people uh, catch you online? Uh, catch me online. Uh, fuck, I don't even use my Twitter anymore, but it's at Dustin Meadows. Uh, website. Uh, once I pay Squarespace this week to uh <laughs> to update, uh, it'll you can find me at DustinMeadowsComedy.com. I rebranded my website. Um, so yeah, DustinMeadowsComedy.com. Find any shows I've got coming up. I also find any uh, relevant Whiskey Bear shows coming up moving forward. Uh, because that that'll all be on the same page now. Yeah, and get your asses to Comedy Town. Yeah, second Friday every month, and then uh, every Monday except the second Monday at Mikey's Late Night Slice uh, on uh, 4th Street. All right. Thank you very much, man. It's been real. Thanks for having me. Produced by Lampshade Media. Edited by Tyson Shipman. Music by Tyson Shipman. Voiceover by Austin Hoover. 
and Mel did things too. Special thanks to Donnie Mossman and Catherine Smith for graphic design and photography and the creative people of Columbus, Ohio. 